Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was, uh, spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testifies to, testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is man that you are mindful of him? the Son of Man, that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. And putting everything under his, him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Ascends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you, and we come before your word, and we ask that you would feed your sheep, strengthen them, uphold them, build them up by the words that you have given. And we pray to that end that you would uh, give your speaker clarity of thought, wisdom, and discernment, and that you would give your hearers willingness to hear and be changed by the words that you give. All this we pray, dear Father in heaven. Amen. Why do we sing? Seems like such a simple question. Why do people sing? You know, you, you know song is one of the few things that has bind, bound all peoples from all times and all generations, as long as man has been on this earth, he has sung. And it doesn't matter where you go in human history, you'll find that that is the case. Singing is part 
of that history. It's an important part of what it means to be man, what it means to uh, have our identity as men. But why do people sing? Sometimes people sing sad songs. Sometimes people sing happy songs. Usually it reflects how they're feeling. I know that's not a, a, a deep revelation or anything, but we often sing songs as a way of expressing our humanity, our identity as people, our expression of who we are, what we are experiencing. Songs express some sort of reality over us. Some part of our identity is wrapped up in that song, why we are, um, find ourselves identifying with certain songs and not others at certain times. You know, I don't know many people who you would go to a funeral together with and uh, would identify with a song. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Uh, they're just certain songs that are fitting for certain times based on the experience that we seem to be going through at that moment. And so the question is, why do the people of God then sing? This is something I know that we do every week as we come together as a church body. And any church that you will enter into sings praises to God. But why? What is the reason for the singing? What is it about their identity? What does the song express for us? If a song is a part of who we are, if it's part of our identity, then what purpose does our singing have when we gather? You know, do we have a particular song, an identity, a type of song that we can sing? Are our songs always to be happy or sad? Or is there something more to our singing together? I know for some of us, singing is not something we enjoy doing uh, even here. For some of us, we're much more comfortable quietly uh, observing and letting everyone else take part in it. For some of us, you know, we've been taught that singing is not something befitting to do, especially men. You know, we feel this more than others. It seems too emotional to grasp onto song. And yet, according to Scripture, the song that the people of God sing week after week, dear Christian, has nothing to do with your comfort. And it has everything to do with your identity. And so this morning, the first thing that we'll see is that we sing an old victory song. We sing an old Victory song. Most of you have heard uh, victory songs before. If you haven't gone to a football game and seen a touchdown and heard the song that's played after, you know, uh, uh, there are other songs that you have been exposed to that you just don't realize are victory songs. You know, a victory song is one that celebrates a victory, one that comes at the end of a battle of some kind, a, a victory whose price is usually bought with much blood and sweat and tears. You know, a song that you should all be familiar with. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave? That's a victory song. Uh, You know, when Francis Scott Key wrote that song, it was, you know, while a battle was raging and in the midst of the night by the glare from the rockets bursting in airs or cannon blasts, he saw the American flag still waving. That's a victory song. He's seeing something standing and continuing in the midst of a battle. Well, people of God, we participate in a song of victory. That song defines us. The song that we sing as part of God's people, as part of his covenant people, whom he has set apart, is a song of victory. And I know that even as I say that immediately, we feel a tension within us because we walk through this life and our lives do not often feel like victory. 
They're marked by sin. They're marked by constant defeat. We live in a marred world, a world that is not as it should be. So how do these two realities fit together that our song, our identity is one of victory, and yet we walk through the experience of defeat at the same time? Well, if you go back to Exodus 15, that passage we read this morning, uh, hopefully what I'm trying to articulate about us as new covenant people and the worship that we bring, the song that we sing, will begin to make sense as we look back to the people of the old covenant. Well, as you come back to Exodus 15, we come to a text that's right on the heels of the Red Sea crossing. In Exodus 14, God brings Israel up from bondage. They pass through these waters of judgment that stood on either side of them. And as the waters surround the whole people of God, they pass through what would have been certain death into life, walking instead on dry Ground. And you see, immediately after they walk through and they pass through this trial, you see Pharaoh's army follow the people of God, seeking to destroy God's people, and the watery walls come tumbling down. The Egyptians are drowned. God delivers his people. In fact, the text says over and over again, God fights for his people. He wages war on their behalf, and then he brings them into victory through his work. Well, then what happens? You know, he brings this victory about for the people of God. He brings them through this trial, this war that has been waged against Egypt and God himself. You'll notice what happens immediately is as you come to chapter 15, the response of God's people, the very first response is the song of God's people song is upon the lips of God's people. God's people witness God's deliverance of them. They witness God going to battle for them. They see God's victory over his and their enemies, and they respond with this song that praises God for his deliverance of them, for the victory that he has won on their behalf. And you'll notice what God did for this people. He re- defines them. It speaks a new word over them. And their identity, that identity is bound up in this particular song. Listen to the song of Moses. Now I will sing praises to the Lord. Why? Because he has triumphed gloriously. He has become my salvation, the salvation of the people of God. He is my strength and song. He becomes My song, notice that was words in verse 2. He is my song. Again, the idea here is God's work, his strength, his victory defines the song that we sing. He becomes our song. This is our God, and this is what he looks like, the God of our fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And we will praise him just as they did because he fights for us. He goes to battle for us. We praise him because of the bondage that he delivered us from back there in Egypt. Notice the language again and again. Pharaoh has been thrown into the sea. The horse and the rider have been cast into the sea. You have shattered the enemy that bound me. You have overthrown your adversaries, which were my adversaries. Your wrath consumes all those who oppose you, O God. Again, we're seeing... the deliverance from bondage here. And then the song pauses and ponders, who is like you, O God? 
who is like you, O Lord, who is like you in holiness, who is like you in deeds of wonder. And you'll notice in all of this certain themes beginning to arise, God is praised, but he's not just praised, he's praised because he has triumphed gloriously. And all that glory and honor is due to him. God is victorious over his enemies and he has not needed any of man's help. He is a mighty God who is our salvation. And this song of God's victory isn't just about God doing you this great thing over there. You know, it's because God did something for them. This victory becomes their victory. It becomes their song. Their identity is wrapped up in the work of God for them here. God's victory on their behalf defines them, and they offer song marked by this victory, praising God and glorying him for his mighty deeds, this song which defines them from now on, saying, look at what the Lord has done for us. He brought them through the waters of judgment. He delivered them when so many others were laid waste by the same hand. In verses 14 and 15, all the ends of the earth hear of his might and they tremble at his name. Sounds like something else we hear in the New Testament, doesn't it? That every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that all the ends of the earth would hear and know the works of Christ, that the victory is his. All the ends of the earth will hear of what God did for Israel. And what is it that they hear? How do they hear of God's victory in this particular sense? Through Israel's song. They hear Israel's victory song as it is sung. All the ends of the earth will hear of God's mighty deeds until verse 16 through song. God's people pass by, excuse me, in verse 16, God's people pass by safely and are planted on God's holy mountain, the place of his dwelling, the sanctuary of our God and of our Lord. In other words, all the ends of the earth will hear what God has done, his victory over his enemies, until God brings them to dwell in his presence. They will hear it, and they will hear it indeed through song. His glory will be proclaimed through song until that end. So what do we see? You know, God's people are delivered through judgment. They sing a response of gratitude to him. They sing this song of victory, one that defines them and marks them, that becomes their own through the work of God on their behalf. But then what happens to the people of God? They sing this song and then God ushers them into heaven. You know, God brings about this mighty victory and they are immediately brought into his presence, into the sanctuary of the Lord forevermore. No. God's people will wander in a wilderness. They sing this victory song and then they walk in a place that as they languish in a desert place. The song that they sing is one of a past victory and a future hope. But notice they live in the midst of a desert. They live in this tension in a hard place, in this tension of the world that does not seem to match the very reality of the song that defines them. Their world Looks an awful lot like our world, people of God. What is it that Peter says, speaking of the church? He says we are sojourners and exiles here 
something Hebrews 11 links right back to the old covenant people. God's people live in the reality that God has been victorious over his and our enemies, overthrowing that bondage, yet we live in the midst of this tension of a victory that is won in the past and a future hope of dwelling in God's presence and in the middle. That's where we live. Middle filled with sin, filled with defeat, a world that does not look much like heaven, and a world that often mocks the very song upon our lips. And so the question is, what changes when you come to the New Testament? When you come to the New Covenant, is there a shift in how the people of God are to sing or what their song is that identifies them? Well, as you come to the New Testament, New Covenant, there are some things that are new in the way that God works. You come to a place like Revelation 5.9, and the people of God are called to sing a new song. But you'll notice what's new about that song is who the song is for. It's no longer just Israel, but it's for every nation, tribe, and tongue. It is a victory song for Gentile nations, too. It is a song raised to the slain lamb for the victory that has been won, it is still a victory song as you come to the new covenant. But what has been hidden in shadow comes into the fullness of light in Jesus Christ. He is the one whose salvation through the judgment waters belongs to. He is the one, Revelation 7 says, salvation belongs to, for it belongs to our God and to the Lamb. His victory defines our lives, defines our Victory. So then how do we sing? Do we sing only victory songs? A sweet victory in Jesus? How do we understand what we can and ought to sing when a friend dies? When we see death winning all around us, what do we sing when life gives us trouble, when there is true pain and sorrow and life doesn't feel victorious? How do you keep a song upon your lips at this time? Well, in Hebrews 2, we see a picture of our song. You know, what life looks like for new covenant worshipers as we live in the present, as we live in the here and now. In verses 5 through 8, the author of Hebrews begins speaking of man, of the glory of man, how God made us at creation to be princes upon this earth with all things subjected to us. And the psalmist is overwhelmed with the glory that is to be man and how glorious and privileged man is over all creation. But then he goes on in verse 8 and he says, at present we do not see everything in subjection to him, meaning man. You look around this world and it's not hard to agree with that conclusion. We see the effects of the fall everywhere. No longer is the created order fully subservient or in service to man. The fall has had its effect on humanity. Man becomes a slave to sin. This one who was to be a prince over all creation is held in bondage to the wages of sin and death. The author of Hebrews says we do not see everything in subjection to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, 
as one who is crowned in glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Do you see what the author is doing here? As he writes this letter to a church, those who have been called a new creation, he says we don't see things the way they were first created. We don't see the world in subjection to man because man fell into sin and turned from God. We fell into bondage. And the song we sing would be a song of mourning if that is all that we had. But we see Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God who took human flesh to himself, who holds both the nature of God and man within his one person who because and by his humanity taking human flesh he suffered in this world like us subjecting then the world to himself and now we see Jesus victorious over all the sin and death of this world held out for all the rest of mankind. In other words, we, you and I, God's people live in this world where there seems to be no victory. We see a world polluted by sin, sin that is within our very own hearts. And Hebrews goes on to say that though we do not see the world subjected to man the way it should be, yet we see the people of God sing to our God a song. And it is a song that we sing with our Savior. Notice verse 11 and 12. That is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call us brothers, saying, I will tell of your name in the midst of the congregation. I, Jesus, will sing your praise. What's that mean? What's that mean, people of God? It means that Christ, as he came down and he became man, that as he took on humanity to himself, as he was joined to man, that is the result of his taking on flesh. He is joined to man and he takes our song and it becomes his song, our lives in the midst of this broken world because become his life, yet he does so without sin. He became part of us in order to deliver us, to be part of us. And Christ identifies with us in every way. He suffers as we suffer. He died as we will die. He lived in this broken reality, wandering in the wilderness as a sojourner and exile. You see, people of God, Christ entered the wilderness of this broken life. He joined himself to us here in our humanity in order that we might be joined to him in victory. Christ suffered as we suffered, and he bled and he died, and then victory became his when he arose again from the dead on the third day, victorious over the world, over all the enemies of God, over all that has been enslavement to man. And in his resurrection, we see all things as they should be. In this one man, all things are brought into subjection under his feet. For he has defeated death, and his foot is upon the throat of the devil himself. Because of this, he sings a song of victory with his brothers. And he sings in the midst of the assembly. Hear that, people of God. Christ sings the praises of God in the midst of his brothers. Here, now, according to verse 12, he sings with his brothers. And we join him who led us in victory. And we join him in song by faith. 
In his death and resurrection from the dead, his victory over the grave, over our sins, we are joined to him and his song becomes our song. The reality of his life speaks over us, our reality. Because Christ became man in every way. Because he suffered, because he lived among us. He is not ashamed to call his brothers, but suffered as we suffered. Because he is not ashamed of his brothers, he is not ashamed to sing the songs that we sing. Think of what Hebrews is saying. Christ knows what it is to suffer. He lived it. His whole life was one of suffering. He understands what you are going through, people of God. He understands the pain and the trials and the sin that we see every day. And he mourns with us as we mourn. He walked with us as we walked. He knows what it is to see God's enemies seem to prevail over God's people. And so he sings with us to throw the rider into the sea. He knows the dark night of the soul. Remember the garden of Gethsemane. He knows this pain. He knows the trouble that we have seen, and he laments with us. He is no stranger to pain or suffering or the reality of sin in this world. So there is room to sing songs of mourning and songs that express longing for the consummation of all things, and yes, indeed, songs of victory, for we long for that day when we not only see Jesus and the entirety of the world subjected to him, but all of God's people are brought into that victory along with him. There is room to sing all sorts of parts of the human experience as we sing them in Christ Jesus, but our song, people of God, it is always informed by the end. It is always informed by the end of the story. You know, you'll hear it in the next song we sing this morning. We know the end of the story through this life. We struggle with sin and with our dying, and we will do so until our dying breath. Though we will not see all things in subjection to him while we walk upon this earth, we do see Jesus, who sings a song of victory, a victory that you and I, as we are united to him by faith in his redemptive works, we too can sing. We can do it in the midst of the most difficult parts of this wandering wilderness. For our God is our salvation. Because he has crowned or come and he has been crowned with glory and honor. And as he has become united to us in our sufferings, you will be united to him in his glory. People of God, may we sing. May we praise our God, and sing to him a new song to our faithful God, who there is no other God like, nor ever will be this God whom our salvation belongs to. May we lift up our voices and do it week in and out, week after week, no matter what defeats we have experienced this past week, no matter what trials we have undergone, but may we lift up our voices knowing that the end of the story is victory in Jesus indeed. For those who rest in him, may we raise our voices to our God with our Savior for the salvation that he has so freely given to his children. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we, we thank you. 
and we magnify your name and praise you for this work that was done on our behalf, one that we cannot comprehend the depths or the riches of, yet one that shapes us from now until our dying breath. We thank you for what you have accomplished in Christ, and we thank you that he became like us, that he knows our joys and our sorrows, that he knows the struggles that we experience and that we can sing knowing our Savior understands and doesn't just understand, but he brings us along in unity to him in that finally final victor song. Father, we pray that you would build up and strengthen your people even by this worship service as we sing praises to our God and to the Lamb. All this we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.